0: Father, we thank you for your faithfulness um, as, we, as we look at these children and the way that you've wired them and the way that you've worked in their lives. We thank you that, that you are faithful in raising them even when we are not. And uh, we just thank you for your goodness there and pray that you continue to, to work in our hearts and in our minds so that we would do the work we need to do to raise these children in, a way, in the way that they should go, to raise them to, to love and, and serve you with all their lives. Father, may May we see another generation of of students and children and young adults raise up who love you and see you for who you are as glorious and beautiful and mighty. Father, we come to you now because we want to hear you speak. We want to hear you um, speak clearly to us, and so we ask you to do that through your word. We pray that anything in our hearts or minds that may be hindering us, if it's fears or Anxieties or just distractions of what's going on the rest of the day. Father, push those aside so that we can have a singular focus on Your words, so that we can hear You speak. Father, we ask that You would open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what You have to say this morning. In Your name we pray. Amen. Alright, so we're moving on to chapter 3 of Jonah. And we're going to just jump right into His Word right away. So Jonah chapter 3, it's the entire chapter. It's short. It's only 10 verses. Remember, this comes directly after Jonah was, to use the Bible's words, vomited up by the fish. (laughs) (laughs) Then the Word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day Jonah started into the city, he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from His fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened. Amen. So, about 277 years ago, 78 years ago, a man by the name of Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon that he had preached before in another church. And I say that because he, he preached it in his home congregation and they heard it and walked away going, eh, it was okay. And, and, but now he was doing pulpit supply for another congregation 30 miles down the road. And it was a congregation that was known for being a problem church. Um, other pastors described this church as being thoughtless and vain, having no passion or desire for the Lord of any sort. They, it said they, they could hardly conduct themselves with any common decency. So, not a glowing review of a church. Not a church that the pastors probably wanted to preach at. And so, Jonathan Edwards was, called to preach there, to do some pulpit supply. So he took this message that he had preached before and went and preached it to this church. And yet this time something different happened. As he preached the sermon, God cut to the heart of that congregation and they began to weep and wail and repent of their sins. God just cut them to the heart and they were convicted of their sins and they weeped and they wailed. They got so loud... In the congregation, that he couldn't even finish his sermon because they were weeping and wailing. It it actually carried on for three hours in the church because they were so cut to the heart by their sin. Actually, it carried on for another ten years as that was the beginning of the Great Awakening in the in the colonies. The first Great Awakening. Um, you know, God was doing work. You know, obviously doing more work than just one sermon. But but a lot of people come back to this one sermon by Jonathan Edwards as being the the spark that started the first great awakening that went through the whole American colonies um, over a ten-year span where city after city after city were converted and turned to Christ. And it all started with a guy faithfully preaching a sermon that he had preached some other time. And, And it's pretty incredible to realize that God uses those efforts of ours, those faithful efforts of ours, to do things for His glory, to do powerful, big things for His glory, God God uses those. But I think what's even more amazing to me is that God uses unfaithful people and unfaithful efforts for His glory too. Look at Jonah. I was, I was caught. I mean, many. If you if you looked at Jonah. I think most people would probably describe Jonah as the worst prophet of Israel. I mean, when God called the prophet, he he told them, there's two things that I'm calling you to do. You're going to do what I tell you to do, and you're going to say what I tell you to say. Like, you just kind of hear that as you go through the prophets. Do what I tell you to do, say what I tell you to say. And Jonah didn't do either of those (laughs) He had one job to do, and he didn't do it. You know, God said, go to Nineveh. And he said, I'm not going to Nineveh. Preach this message to Nineveh. I'm not going to preach that message to Nineveh. He was an unfaithful, disobedient, stubborn, stiff-necked prophet who was going to be his way or the highway. And yet God still showed mercy. God showed mercy in disciplining him through the storm and through the fish, calling him back to repentance over and over again. But even then... Once Jonah actually repented and turned back to the Lord, God shows mercy simply in calling Jonah back to Nineveh. I mean, it says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, like second chance. That's it's in there. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. I mean, that was a mercy to Jonah because I think if it was me, I'm not, you know, I've It's a good thing that I'm not God, because I'm not probably as gracious as he is. But I would have had enough with Jonah. I would have said, All right, I forgive you, now go somewhere else, I'll find another prophet to preach to Nineveh. I'm kind of tired of dealing with you. Right? But God shows him mercy. Jonah doesn't deserve the privilege even of going to Nineveh to preach. He's actually everything that Jonah's done has been pointed in the direction of disqualifying him from his calling. And yet God says, you repented? Now go again. I'm showing you mercy. Go again and preach to Nineveh. And this whole chapter is a chapter filled with the mercy of God. Jonah finally obeys and and goes into the city of Nineveh, this great city. Remember, I'm not going to go through the whole description, but a couple of weeks ago we talked about what Nineveh looked like and there was maybe two million people in Nineveh. Some people, suppose it's a huge city. This passage again reminds us that it takes three days to walk through the city because it was so large. And so Jonah walks one day into the city, bringing him right to the middle of the city. And then he cries out, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Like, it's a message with, it's pretty bland. There's no eloquence in this message. To be honest, not a lot of mercy there either coming from Jonah's mouth. But that's the message he preached. God said, go to Nineveh and say what I tell you to say. And Jonah went to Nineveh, <coughs> said what he, God told him to say. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. There's even there's, uh, parallels between what Jonah's saying here and what was being said about Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis. So there's this idea that you have 40 days Nineveh and then God's going to wipe you out with fire and brimstone because of your evil and wickedness. And yet this plain Jane ser- message, sermon, God used it and cut to the hearts of an entire city and brought them to repentance. Now we looked at the Heidelberg Catechism at the beginning and and I want to make sure we're kind of seeing what, what this has to do with this passage and and how this passage teaches what this is teaching this is i mean this is one of the most I have a hard time saying one of the most. It's an important question in the catechism. What is involved in genuine repentance or conversion? I mean, I, I remember talking to teenagers all the time and people who, who wrestle with, am I really saved or am I not saved? And they, Have I really truly turned to the Lord in faith? What's going on? And this question asks it. Okay, if you want to know if it, what is true repentance, true conversion, what's involved with it? And it it says... Okay, two things. The dying away of the old self and the rising to life of the new. And those are kind of ethereal pictures. Okay, what does that really mean? And so it gets more practical. It says the dying away of the old self is to be genuinely sorry for sin and more and more to hate and run away from it. That's one step of repentance. So you've got, I always picture it, you've been living your whole life walking towards sin... And the first step of repentance, repentance just means turning away, is to turn away from your sin and turn this way. And you, you're sorry for your sin and you hate it more and more. You don't flirt with it. You don't think, wow, well, just see how close I can get. No, you, you hate it more and more and you, you don't just like dawdle away from it. You run from it. With all of your might, you're running away from sin. But that's just one part of it. The other step is when you turn from sin, when you turn from it, you have to turn towards something. So you're turning from sin and you're turning toward Christ. And so it says this rising to the new life is a wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and delight to live according to the will of God. So when you turn from sin, you have to turn toward Christ and then you see Christ as being beautiful. There's this, there's a wholehearted joy in you. There's a change of your heart so that you love and delight in following Him and becoming more and more like Him. And so repentance, in just a short, to, to kind of sum it up, is turning from sin and turning toward Christ. And the Catechism, you know, people that wrote it, they didn't just make this up. It's, it's all over in Scripture. And it's even in this passage when it talks about the Ninevites. In, in, in verse 8, this king's making a proclamation to the city, and he says, let them give up their evil ways and their violence. He says, turn from your sin, hate it more and more, and run away from it. You know, Turn from your evil and wicked ways. And, and we see the city doing that. And he says, he adds their violence in there, right? Why, why that? Because the Assyrians were known, I said that in the first week, they were known for their wicked evil, violent nature. That was their primary sin. They were a violent and wicked people. And the king says, they were cut to the heart by this message and the king tells everybody, we've got to turn from that. We have to repent of our violence. But it also says, the Ninevites believed God. There's there's faith involved in it. It's not just that they turned from one sin and turned to another sin. They didn't just turn from what they they turned from sin and they believed God. When Jonah preached this simple message, 40 days in your city is going to be destroyed. They heard that God cut to the heart and they believed God. They, they had a faith in God. So it was this this true repentance and it it shows all of the things that they did when they truly repented. Right. They put on sackcloth and ashes. They 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 um, decided on a fast for the whole city, even the animals. We're supposed to fast and they put sackcloth and ashes on the animals and it's kind of a crazy thing, but it's, it's their way of saying complete repentance of the whole city. Even the animals are going to have to be involved in this, even though animals can't really repent. And so they all turned from their wicked ways and turned toward Christ and, and that worked itself out in their actions. Because God's never really interested solely in our outward actions. If if they wouldn't have repented deep down in their heart, if there was no faith involved in their repentance, and they put on sackcloth and ashes and they were pretending, God wouldn't have relented. No Repentance involves faith, and if it involves faith, it involves the heart. And so you could see that worked itself out in the way that they responded when they turned, and then they were really sorry for their sins, and so they put on sackcloth and ashes as a way of showing how sorry they were. They repented. They fasted. And God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, how they repented. And He had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction He had threatened. So there's this pattern throughout the book of Jonah in people repenting and God showing mercy. Even chapter 1, the sailors... They were not God's people, and yet on the ship, they eventually repent, they call out to God, and God shows mercy. Chapter 2, Jonah repents, calls out to God, God shows mercy. Chapter 3, the Ninevites repent, call out to God, and God shows mercy. It's, It's over and over through this chapter, and it's just all over through the Bible, this connection between repenting, and, show, and God's showing His mercy. Another passage that, that parallels this comes in Jeremiah. It, this is God speaking. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them. So just stop and realize he's not talking about a pagan city. He's not talking about Nineveh. He's not talking about the Babylonians, he's not talking about the Persians or the Moabites. Or He's talking about his people. And he said, they're going to hear about the disaster I plan to inflict on them. Hopefully when they hear about it, each one of them will turn from his wicked ways. They will repent. And then I will forgive their wickedness and their sins. See a connection again. Them repenting. God showing mercy. Even kind of the most famous parable in the New Testament, the parable of the prodigal son, shows this connection between repentance and and mercy. Remember, the prodigal son takes his part of the inheritance, goes away to a faraway land, squanders it all, loses everything, ends up sleeping with the pigs and eating what the pigs are eating. And then he repents. He turns from his sinful ways he turns literally turns away walks away from his sinful life returns to the father and in his repentance the father does what shows him mercy this is uh, throughout scripture this when people turn to god in repentance he shows mercy and it's the same for us that that if when we want to receive god's mercy that's entailed in that is us turning from our sin, turning to God in repentance and crying out to Him. And when we do that, He will grant mercy. It's not He won't sit there and think, oh, do I, do I get it? No. He will grant mercy if we, if we turn to Him. We turn from our sin, we hate it more and more, and then we turn to Christ in faith, trusting in His life in His death, in His resurrection, for the forgiveness of our sins and desire to become more and more like Him every day. I mean, that's what repentance looks like. That's that's how we receive mercy. But it's also important, I think, to realize that repentance isn't just a one-time thing. There's a decisive moment where when we are not a believer and we turn to Christ in faith, there's that decisive moment, but it's also something that happens every single day. We we live a life of repentance. Jesus said this to his disciples. He says, "If anyone would come after me, if you want to follow me, you must deny or he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me." Denying yourself, taking up your cross is part of that denying your natural sinful nature, pushing that away, or taking up your cross. Paul talks about crucifying the old man, hating your sin more and more, running away from it, turning toward Christ. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to do that every single day. That as you, as you turn from your sinful life and you turn towards Christ, you're walking and you keep hearing people talking behind you and you kind of keep looking back, right? Like, should I go back there? No, no, I gotta follow Christ. And, and you're constantly tempted to turn back to your sinful life, and yet Jesus says daily, daily we need to turn back to Christ and follow Him. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Him. And the beauty of it is, is that the more we turn to Christ and follow Him, the more we hate our sin and run from it. We see how destructive and deadly that sin is. We don't even want to turn back to it because we know it's all ruinous. And the more we turn to Christ in faith, the more we love and, 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 uh, and enjoy following Him in obedience, becoming more and more like Him. And, and it's important to know that true faith and true repentance always, always work themselves out from the heart all the way out to the fingertips. It always has to work itself out in our lives and in, in obedience. It's not true faith and, and, and repentance unless it changes the way we live and the way we act. We even see that with Jonah. Jonah repents. God shows him mercy. And then it says, Jonah obeyed. If, if, if God would have said, Jonah, go to Nineveh a second time. And Jonah was like, nope, I'm going. It wouldn't have been true Repentance. Because it was not followed by obedience. I mean, Paul even says this in Romans 6. He says, What should we say? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? No way. He actually says, Hell no. That's what it says. (laughs) We died to sin. How can we live in it anymore? He says, You can't, once you turn from sin, you're dead to it. You don't turn back to it. It, it, Now you're following Christ. You're looking at Him and you keep turning back to Him over and over and over again. And as we turn to God in repentance, the beautiful thing is is He's always there with mercy. And that's incredible because you think He would be done with us. Because we have to repent daily, multiple times throughout the day and God's still there showing mercy over and over and over again, showing mercy on us. And what's even more incredible is that God not only keeps showing mercy towards us, but in His mercy, He continues to use us for His glory in the world. I mean, does it shock you the way that it shocked me as I looked at this this week, that God would use Jonah to turn the great city of Nineveh in repentance toward him, the faithful, disobedient, stubborn prophet God used to turn an entire city to him in repentance. That God used one man's obedience to turn two million people to him in repentance and draw them to himself. I mean, they said this has been, if this is the greatest and most thorough revival that has ever taken place in the history of mankind. And God used Jonah, of all people, to do it. And the crazy thing is, is he can use us. Even in our unfaithfulness, even, even in our continual need of repentance, God can use us. And I was thinking, how amazing would it be if God did a work like that in Beaver Dam? I mean, can you imagine that, that, that because of the work of his people in Beaver Dam and, and us going out with the message of the gospel into the community, that he would cut to the hearts of, the people here, and they would cry out to God in repentance. I mean, Beaverdam is only seventeen thousand people. Nineveh was two million. There's a, I mean, this is this is nothing compared to that. God could do it. Can you? I mean, what a powerful. What if? I mean, if it came all the way up to, you know, Mec, Mayor Becky Gwen, and she said, you know, turn to God in repentance. It'd be a pretty incredible thing. But. Doesn't have to be heard. This has to be God's people preaching the gospel faithfully in the community. Not just pastors preaching the gospel, but God's people faithfully, obediently bringing the gospel to the community, calling them to repent, turn from their sin, turn to Christ in faith, and receive God's mercy. And yet, Paul says, how can they turn to Christ in faith if nobody's calling them? How can they believe if nobody's preaching? How can a community turn to Christ in faith if we, if we never enter the community with the gospel? It's really been an area, not just our church, but the, the church in general in the, in the United States has probably been one of our biggest unfaithful disobedient areas Of bringing the gospel into the community. God has, just like Jonah, God has called his people, go into your community with the gospel. And the church, just like Jonah, has said, no way, we're not going. But thankfully, just like Jonah, if we repent, he'll show mercy. And he'll say, all right, get up. Go to Beaver Dam and say the things that I'm telling you to say. Like, repent, I'll show you mercy, now get up and go. Go do the things I'm telling you to do. Say the things I'm telling you to say. And it's important to remember, you, you can leave today and be excited about doing this, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share the Gospel more, I'm going to do it, I'm going to talk to people about Jesus, and, and it's important to realize that you're going to fail you're going you'll go out and and you'll not speak up because you're afraid you'll you'll go out and you'll try to do it and somebody'll say something really nasty to you and you'll get really mad at the hardness of their heart and sick and tired of these people or you'll you'll just get comfortable and forget and 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 we'll just keep our mouths shut and the amazing thing is when we fail and we repent God shows mercy again So the point isn't to sit here and just despair over, oh, I just keep messing up at this. No, the point is turn to God, repent, have Him show mercy, and then get up and go again. And then guess what? You're going to mess up. And so you're going to turn to God in repentance again, and He's going to show mercy, and we're going to go, and you're going to experience God's mercy, and you're going to share that mercy with the community, and God's going to use it for His glory in some way. We really don't know how God will use it. And I won't speak on God's behalf. I won't say that He will turn the entire community of Beaver Dam to Him, right? Jonah had years and years of years of preaching the gospel to Israel, and nobody listened to him. Jonathan Edwards preached this sermon before, and his congregation was like, "eh," and they walked away. We don't know. It's not our job to make things happen. It's our job to faithfully obediently plant and water the gospel in the community and leave it up to God to do the growth. But when we plant and we water faithfully, who knows? Maybe God will start revival here in Beaver Dam. Let's pray. Lord, you are so much more gracious and merciful than any of us and than we deserve. We thank you for the grace that you show us. We thank you for the ways that you stir in our own hearts to turn us to you in repentance, the way that you show mercy to us, the way that you empower us to do the work you've called us to do. Father, we pray that you would do that in our hearts this morning. If there's aspects of our lives where we're turning back into our sinful nature, Lord, we, we come to you and we ask your forgiveness. We confess that to you. We repent of it. And we ask you to show mercy to us, empower us to run from the sin in our lives. And In particular, Lord, we pray that, that you would empower us to leave here, And bring the gospel wherever you've sent us in the world, our workplaces, the grocery store, the gas station, wherever we are, Lord. May you stir our hearts to share your message with people. And when we fail, Lord, stir our hearts to turn to you in repentance. We ask you to show us mercy again and then send us on the way to continue doing the work you've called us to do. Father, we thank you for your... Graciousness, We thank you for your patience with us, and we pray that you would use us more and more in a way that would bring you glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.